I don't I... ask that. We, we don't... Occasionally, occasionally I will start an episode <laughs> by just simply asking, how the hell are you? Yeah. But I don't do it enough. Hmm. Like, so much of our correspondence with each other is like... <laughs> You, when, are you we pay, reco- when are we recording? What's did you, know, you pay the bank? Like, you, yeah, look at the calendar. Okay, like it's all businessy yeah. stuff. So, but yeah. just like, how are you? Yeah, you know, I'm good. I am actually good. I'm having in our region, and you're in the same region as me. Mm-hmm. That is um, Argentina, and no, we're not in Argentina. We're in Canada, but the weather is phenomenal. Like. It's getting up to like 18 degrees a day and it's November Celsius. and Celsius. That's worth, that's worth good uh, point. <laughs> that's worth clarifying. Which I don't even know. Hang on. 18 Celsius oh. to Fahrenheit. Yeah, that would be 64. 64. So, I mean, for November, I am just here for it. So, the, the days are short, but they are warm ish. And I've just been getting into a good show, and every night I've been watching an episode, and it's interesting. And I watched a really interesting film, which we're about to talk to. So, like, I and I've been watching it with someone. So, like, it's just been like a relaxing week. You know, I, I've been having a good week when work and the world can be so crazy. I've been able to relax, and I feel like that is a good combination to have as far as balancing life. And I am good. How are you? Thank you. I I'm looking at a chart right now. <laughs> and it doesn't like Celsius and Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Cuz it's not even like it's not like the degree between Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same unit of measurement. And one just has its number shifted. Like like a degree is a different sized increment across the two different systems. Hmm. Did you know that? I feel like I used to know a lot more between Celsius and Fahrenheit and Calvin. And now it's a distant memory. Oh, well, yeah, I know nothing about Calvin. But like... Yeah. But like... There is, a, so they're like way off. Like, mm. like we just said, it's, you know, it's like 18 degrees here. Sure. Which is 64. But there is a spot where like the two of them meet up. Oh. Minus 40 Fahrenheit is minus 40 Celsius. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's so, it's so, and huh. like, so freezing in Fahrenheit is 32 degrees. Right. And boiling okay. is 212. Oh, okay. See, that's so hmm. complicated to me. Yeah. Celsius freezing. What's what is freezing? Freezing is zero. You get down right. to zero, you freeze. What's <laughs> boiling? Well, boiling's a hundred. Right. And you've got freezing and boiling and everything in between. And then obviously you can go above boiling, but that's mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. your most common like everyday need to know need to know, you're you know, and then you're below zero. <laughs> yeah. Right? Negative Negative is below freezing, whereas in Fahrenheit, mm. it's not. It's like you, by the time you get to zero, by the time they get to zero, we're at like minus 15 here. It's, it's complicated. And, what are you guys uh, doing? 
I, I'm going to interject because we're already a few minutes in. I'm, and it's I'm, you asked nuts. how I am. I am well. Before you I'm, answer that, I'm going to say we are the Movie Men podcast. Oh my gosh. I am Peter. Welcome to the show. And Brady is my co-host and he's about to tell you how he's doing. I'm good. I'm, I'm also enjoying the warm weather. I'm sore as a result. Oh, in a good way? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so I, for those who don't know, I also um, have a YouTube channel where I make some mm. content from time to time. And yep. uh, yesterday we shot a video. I will be, I've got like <laughs> six weeks left of my 20s. Hmm. And I'm like, I forgot what are about s- that. Yeah, I'm like, what are some things that I've that I don't know how to do that I've never done? What are some experiences that I've had experiences that I haven't had? Um, that you know, <coughs> excuse me, that I don't want to be <laughs> that I don't want to be thirty and have right. not done. Uh, hmm. And one of them, like one that was like just super accessible kind of like really tangible and like hey this isn't really going to cost a lot of money i can just go do this now uh it was like i don't know i've i don't know how to skateboard oh really i've never really skateboarded i've like stood on a skateboard and like yeah tried to keep my balance or whatever um but so anyways yesterday we shot a video um where a much more experienced than i skateboarder um Mm. taught me how to skateboard Oh, cool! Attempted to, so yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Like i I didn't I didn't leave with the the progress that I think in my mind. I was like, (laughs) I think I was like much more like, oh yeah, I'm gonna. By the time the day is over, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll do a trick. Um, Right. That was the you know, and uh, and when I arrived, she also had like on her little list of like things to teach for the day. Mm. Uh, uh, Within like the first two minutes, that list got thrown out. (laughs) Right. Like okay, (laughs) we need to teach you how to (laughs) propel yourself forward because I literally like never yeah with with, like the exception of once for about twenty seconds, I'd never Mm. been on a skateboard. Right. So I had no like I had to learn that muscle memory of like. Okay, mm-hmm. this is how you balance on a board. Yes. And this is how you then shift your feet so that you can propel yourself forward and then shift your feet back into your balancing position. Mm. And, yep. and this is how you yep. turn without falling. And this is how, you know. And so, yeah. But you know what? After only doing it for about three hours, I was like, mm. I can see, I can feel progress. I like Good my for you. confidence level. Like enough so that I'm like with a little more practice, I'm I'm nowhere near doing tricks, but I could bum around town on one of these. <laughs> Good for you, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm and with sore. that come with that comes an whole, a whole opportunity of of ways to get around because then once you can skateboard, you can longboard. You well, know, I'm you actually can... thinking because they so she asked me, she's like, "Do you think you'll buy a skateboard?" And I was like, "Well," mm. I said, "To be honest, I was like, because I." Because I'm like, I don't know how interested in like doing tricks or like going to the skate park I am. Like, I just see it Mm -hmm. as, you know, potentially another mode of transportation. I was like, Mm -hmm. I I wonder if picking up a longboard makes more sense. Mm, I'm practicing on a longboard and just kind of street surfing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I might get a longboard. But I'm sore, cool. not from falling, but from like just yeah, just like yep. leg muscles mm-hmm. 
and core muscles keeping yourself balanced and and shifting and like yeah you know yeah. and not even like just because I don't use those regularly or whatever but just because I think when you're first learning like the first mm-hmm. hour and a half you're like you're overcompensating you're like overworking those muscles because you're not relaxed you've got a tense a you're tense stature. and so yeah. you know it's the same as like if you've ever like climbed a ladder and then done work on top of a ladder for like 10 minutes mm-hmm. and like, st- you know, it shouldn't, shouldn't be overly painful, but if you're like working at a height on a ladder, maybe you're not tied off. Maybe it's a little sketch, which you're doing, um, but you're, you know, you're kind of working away for 10 minutes with a screwdriver or whatever on top of a ladder and you get <laughs> right. down and you're like sore, you're like, your legs are sore and everything for like hours afterwards because you were mm-hmm. just tense. You were just like hurting your muscles because of how tense you were. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's my experience. Also, I no longer <laughs> sound like I have COVID. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm back, that is to, good. back to sounding... I mean, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's like a tiny little nasally left or whatever, but I'm like, sure, I'm out of the woods, I think. I mean, that's good. And you're feeling yeah. better and you're doing more doing physically better. robust things. It's, and because I just great. had COVID, I'm in the realm where like, if I want to lick a doorknob, <laughs> I've got the, I've got, I mean, there's so many other things I could catch, but right. my risk of getting COVID is currently quite low. And that's, uh, it's uh <laughs> It's an Things are looking feeling. up. Yeah. They're, Things they're are looking up. up. So you mentioned a movie named, did you mention the name? You mentioned we're I going to review a movie. I didn't mention the name, but I said we're reviewing a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're here today to talk about Bandit, a 2022 film. Ah, that was your opportunity to be like, <laughs> we thought we'd revisit Cats and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give it another no. we didn't give cats a fair shake the first we, time around <laughs> mm, i think we gave it a fair enough shake as yeah. fair a shake as i wanted to shake disclaimer you should never shake a cat that's not <laughs> don't yeah no yeah. uh so yeah we're here to talk bandit a 2022 film which uh for those who haven't seen it but are listening or uh, would like a summary it's just a canadian biographical crime film and it's directed by Canadian director Alan Ongar, starring various names such as uh, Josh Dumal, Alicia Cuthbert, Nestor Carbonell, and Mel Gibson. And it's based on the true life story of a gentleman named Gilbert Galvin Jr., who was the flying bandit and escaped from the United States, crossed the border into Canada into the in the 1980s, and robbed 59 banks and jewelry stores all while being chased by the police and eluding the police um and just for some canadian content here he holds the record for the most consecutive robberies in canada still hasn't been broken i know give me time i'm well i was just i was just gonna say if you you're you're having a bit of a crisis leaving your 20s there's no better way to break out of your 20s by breaking that record well and i was thinking about it and i'm like like watching this film, I'm like, no doubt, maybe probably even as a result of this guy, mm. bank security, oh. at least in Canada, is, sure. is way different nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, it kind of is, 
in so many like I'm I I was like I watched this and I thought to myself if this were still the 1980s <laughs> right I right. feel like I would now have a fairly good how to <laughs> right do you know what I mean yeah. because like and that was and that was the whole thing though and it what like that was the whole. That was the reason why the Flying Bandit got away with so much. I mean, he did mm-hmm. some really intelligent things, like of course know, he was doing smart. banks yeah. on the other side of the country and like yes. all of this stuff. But yeah, different jurisdictions, so you know, there's no overlap, and you know, they don't. Yeah, exactly. Picking your targets, yeah, smart but things. In so many ways, the system, yes, was set yeah. up in yeah. his favor. Mm-hmm. Yes, because his disguise absolutely. was never well, like some of his disguises were better than others, but the disguise was never great. It was never an amazing disguise. I would argue, it's, like I get what oh, you're saying, never, but no one I would ever look at argue that nose. with you that in the sequence, his first uh, uh, his first costume, the nose was kind of hokey, but really, um, it, they get better. <laughs> some of those outfits were funny, but but also like. I don't know, just the whole, like, when he's first scouting it out and he's posing as, like, a branch, like a a corporate bank guy and he's talking to the branch manager and he's making sure, he's acting as though he's making sure that the branch branch manager knows the proper procedures for if the bank's getting robbed. And right. really all he's doing is inquiring what are, you know, like he's trying to figure out what are the procedures. Um, yeah. And it really is like the procedure was just comply. <laughs> and, and, and same as the procedures are today, like certainly any retail job or, or restaurant, like fast food job or whatever, like one of the first things they tell you is don't be a hero. If someone yes. points a gun at you or a knife or, you know, whatever, and says, give me the money in the register, give them the money in the register. Like, this place is insured and money can be replaced, but you can't. You can't. Um, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, you just say no silent alarms and they won't press a silent alarm and don't put an ink ink pack or whatever they called it in the, in the money to trace the money and they won't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, and as soon as he had that, he was like, okay, so I, I can tell you not to alert anyone and you're not going to alert anyone. <laughs> and as long as I can disguise my, my appearance enough that I'm not distinguishable on these 1980 quality security cameras. <laughs> Which are just awful. Oh yeah. I saw a meme. Well, even today I saw a meme, like nowadays I saw a meme not long ago that was like, this is this is a picture of Saturn from X many mile, a million miles away. And here's a picture from a CCTV security camera. And it's like pixelated garbage. Like you can't make out, you're like, no wonder we're not mm-hmm. catching anyone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally I watched this and I was like, oh, in the 1980s, if you knew what you were doing and it didn't take much, mm-hmm. this was incredibly easy to do. Yeah. And as soon as he caught on that it was incredibly easy to do. He perfected it. He perfected it. And yeah. and this was something I said to you, I think, where I was like, I have no inclinations to rob a bank. 
just to be clear. But I get it. Mm. I get, and I think that there's not a person out there who would not be, if you found yourself in a position where you had done one, and you were in and out in less than three minutes, Mm -hmm. and it was super simple, and you had established that level of confidence that you're not going to get caught, Mm -hmm. and you're holding 20 grand that you did not have five minutes ago. Mm Mm-hmm. It would be very hard for anybody to now go stack boxes or mill flour or mm-hmm. ma- make an honest living for a half a percentage of what you would make in the amount of time that you're making it robbing these banks. I, I think, think it'd be so addictive. Yeah, so I think that's a good point. There would be the the intensity and the adrenaline and the addictiveness of it. And uh, I, uh, before we get into our initial impressions, I think you hit on a point that I really loved about the film is there's all these rich kind of character depth building elements to it that it's not just this cat and mouse element. And one of them is just how this main protagonist is um, a victim of the system. Like, it's not just out of pure greed. Like, he is literally at his wit's end. He he wouldn't, his, he doesn't even have the choice of working one of these normal, what I'd consider a normal job where he works for a half a percentage. Like, he, we, we see him and he's like, because of the recession at the time, he can't even get a job below minimum wage washing dishes. So, like, it was just yeah. this, this, he, his, he was between a rock and a hard place. He didn't even have the choice of doing something right or wrong. It's just, he had this opportunity and he took it. And then maybe it got to a point where he could have done something else. But then at that point, why would you, right? Like why? Well, and, and I think what's, well, sorry, one more thing I just want to say, and then I'll give it back to you. The wild thing that you're outlining about how, hey, this system is different. You know, it was the Wild West as far as security and like, you know, getting caught. And it is. And what I find wild is when I watch Catch Me If You Can from 2002, that's set in the 60s. So for me, when you see these gaps in the system where there's flaws and, you know, people like the character in that film really just ran wild and did what they did. I go, yeah, but that was the 60s. Like that was decades ago. Security and law enforcement has just changed tenfold and it's just a different system. When I think about the 80s, yes, it's changed dramatically, but the 80s isn't that long ago. Like that, that isn't decades ago it's a couple decades ago but it's not like i think it's just wild and maybe it's just because we're getting old and maybe that's part of it but it's just a wild thing that like (laughs) it's just wild that it's quite recent as far as the context of when this occurred you know and uh, you know it's that's just a fascinating part of it too i think and also by the way thank you for apologizing for not letting me interrupt you just don't let it happen again um (laughs) i uh, yeah, I think, I think that, so, okay, so I also got the impression, and they don't, like, they don't necessarily delve into this, but for mm-hmm. some reason I got the impression that he wasn't super qualified for a lot of things, right? Like, but, like, he didn't yeah, have, but, like, he, he, he's not going sure. to go be an accountant because he probably doesn't have the schooling for it. For sure, but even the jobs he wasn't getting, like, it was, like, being a, an extra oh, hand sure. in a kitchen. Yeah, and but, but definitely, like, his his options were super limited. Right. Um, yeah. But I yeah. think, I think yeah, you know what, it's, it's the 80s, but I think it was just, like, 
if you could find the right crime and the right mm-hmm. method of of achieving that crime, I think something would be almost just as plausible today. Because I think what this is is a scenario where we have all these systems and all these protocols in place, but they don't account for the the bizarre and the ludicrous. Right. And yep. the fact yep. that someone using such a simple method could rob multiple banks in one day mm-hmm. is so bizarre and so ludicrous that when you're putting these fail-safes in place, those are things you just don't account for because it's never mm. happened before. Nobody's done this because mm. how? why would you and how could you? And and it's just not... It's just not in the realm of things you protect against because no one's like, yeah. It it yeah. it hasn't it hasn't been something that we've had to learn from and 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 do before. So I think mm-hmm. like much like the catch me if you can thing, right? With his checks yep. and his like whatever else. Yep. I think if you could now certainly because that guy did it and it's this big famous story now, you wouldn't get away with that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think if you could find something that hadn't been done and was clever enough and simple enough had had so few moving parts because once you add moving parts there's just room for missteps and things getting screwed up and right mm. like like ultimately Gilbert's downfall was as soon as he deviated from what he was used to doing mm-hmm. right he takes on this jewelry job and more importantly the biggest and most unpredictable moving part is a wingman. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as he complicated his system, mm-hmm. there were room there was more room for stuff to unravel. Yeah. I think more had pieces, he just stuck yeah. to the way he was doing it, he probably could have gone on much longer. Mm-hmm. So I think if if even in today, I think if you could find a crime that you could commit simple with few moving parts and and it was clever then i think you could easily get away with it because we haven't because that's not something that anyone's done before and mm-hmm. so we're not we're not protecting against that we're protecting against the things that we think are most likely to happen <laughs> anyways initial impressions um so we've mentioned We've mentioned Catch Me If You Can, which is a film yes. that we reviewed uh, with mm-hmm. Emily a almost long three time years ago. ago. A yeah. long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. And a film that I wasn't super hot on. Like, no. And I think it's just, I think it's a, a premise that I don't resonate with. The cat and mouse right. heist. Yep. You know, on the run from the police thing. Like even the fugitive, I can I recognize that the fugitive is, you know, is is like Hollywood royalty as far as <laughs> films right. and Hall of Fame. Like you know, it's an iconic, high regarded right. film. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. But there's like a couple hundred movies that I would sit and watch before I would watch <laughs> the fugitive again. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I think if you were to just give me the premise of this film on paper, mm. don't show me a trailer. 
Yep. Just tell me, and maybe don't even tell me who's in it. Like, Mel Gibson was certainly a draw for me. Alicia Cuthbert, sure. Josh Jamal. These were all draws yep. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you were just to say, oh, yeah, it's a, it's, you know, it's a story about... Oh, and also it being a true story was certainly a draw for me. I'm, I, I love true story movies. Um, but if you were just like, oh, it's a movie about a guy that robs banks and there's also a side story going on where the investigators who are trying to track him down are running into roadblocks and funding issues and and so on and so forth uh, I like I don't I me personally that wouldn't resonate that wouldn't be something that I would get excited mm. about right because I would be like oh great another catch me if you can um, <laughs> but even just in watching the trailer I mm. think there's there's enough unlike catch me if you can there's enough humor Mm. and heart and just kind of like real world relatability Hmm. motivation that you could empathize with um, injected into this film that it sets it apart and it becomes an entire, not only an entirely different experience for me, but one mm. that is very enjoyable. Um, hmm. I very much like this movie. I very much yep. like the soundtrack, the action, yes. the script, like yep. just the way the whole thing is is laid out. I think it's something we've talked about a lot. I think this movie's well paced. Um, yeah, I think it's the perfect yeah. length for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Because, you know, we've talked about, there seems to be this mentality in Hollywood, like the fans of Hollywood. When movies come out, we go, oh, it's a it's a three-hour movie. It must be really good. Well, no, a long movie doesn't mean a good movie. Just like a mm-hmm. short movie doesn't mean a bad movie. A short movie doesn't mean a good movie. Like, it, each yep. film has its perfect, each film has its its sweet spot based on, the DNA of that film, right? There's hmm. the right runtime for each film. And I think that this film is edited is edited very well and hits that sweet spot. Yes. But because I love this movie so much and because, and maybe this is something we'll get into, we have it yeah, on yeah. good authority yeah. that there is <laughs> a lot that was shot. Right. That is not in this, that there are deleted scenes. And that, mm-hmm. all, you know, although there will never be you know, it's. We're, I don't think we'll see hashtag release the Ungar cut. Yeah, like that's that's not going to happen. Sure. Oh man, if I got my hands on a director's cut, an extended right. edition of this film, I would yeah. gobble that up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What are your initial impressions of Bandit? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll obviously mirror some of the stuff you said for sure, and I, I will go on record saying I'm the opposite of you. You know, when we reviewed Catch Me If You Can, that was my kind of film. That was in my top 10 at the time. I've rewatched it recently, and it's still a decent film. It's still a good film, but it has some holes. You know, it's not perfect, um, but definitely Bandit. I, I am just really riding the high of it's It's very well done. And I, I, I wasn't going to bring up this quote, but since you mentioned the pacing, I'm going to bring it up. Um, uh, from the National Post, Chris Knight said... The Toronto director, Alan Ungar, keeps the pace fast and light despite a two-hour running time 
the film never legs. And, you know, you and I sometimes quander, you know, I also don't dislike long movies. I don't dislike short movies, but sometimes I can be a little critical of saying, was this movie needing to be this long or needing to be this length? And I feel like this was a movie that I didn't actually realize how long it was till I was done watching it. And I went, oh, like that was a solid running time. And I didn't even clue into that at all because it was so well paced. That's the point you made. It is very well paced, well cut. It's so easy to get hooked in and just watch. So yeah, the the pacing is, is perfect. And just as an example of filmmaking, uh, good filmmaking and the pacing, I feel this film, my initial impression is this is a story that's truth is stranger than fiction. And that's interesting, but there are so many films about true stories that are not good films. That is just a fact. And what I will say about this is this is a truly incredible story, like the real life events, but it's also a truly incredible film that it does justice to these events that makes it an interesting watch that brings it to an audience that goes, that was interesting and really brings it to life. So my initial impression, truth, stranger than fiction doesn't always make a good film. This case, it really did. did. Um, I was drawn in by some of the acting roles. I really love Nestor Carbonell as an actor. And him as a, a police officer was fantastic. And I have to say, we'll, we'll get into Mel Gibson later, but this is one of my two favorite roles, not movies, but roles Mel Gibson has performed. He's really hit his stride in this. And the other movie, we'll talk about it later, playing Santa Claus was one of my other favorite uh, recent roles of his. And the last thing I'll just say, yeah, the soundtrack is great. You know, for, for this film, they really went all out. They really got some good 80s tunes that were they were able to use and it really set the the scene of this period piece set in the 80s and there were just some moments that really really were magnified because of it you know whether it was the boy george or whether it was just the climax with oh yeah playing at the end and building the tension going to do the london gig and returning home and the police in pursuit the whole time like that intensity with that music and the different music musical uh, components throughout was just Incredibly well done. So yeah, I would say a resounding great film. Yeah. All right. Sweet. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I it, now, do you have a certain order you'd like to go in? Mine will just be kind of. I, I just want to kind of discuss different elements of the film, and it, it's more just kind of topical versus you know let's talk about this talk about that let's talk about the you know what anything anywhere you'd like to take it i guess i should try and ask um no i mean we can just break it down category by mm-hmm. category do you want to start with the mm-hmm. music sure yeah i again I, I kind of tip my hand like just the the best kind of representation of how good the music was was in the climax of the film and in other places like i it was used the music was used in cinematic ways to amplify scenes but it was also used in ways that they they really made some interesting character character development and some character advances so I, what i'm try, what i'm hinting at with that is there was that sequence with mel gibson and he's watching boy george singing uh is it karma chameleon and um it <laughs> 
I loved this rant by Mel Gibson where he, he, it starts with the music video, then it goes into him ranting and he starts talking about, you know, this music these days, it just doesn't have the same oomph that it used to. You know, I, I went and saw Sinatra and the, the place was packed. I couldn't even see Sinatra's tie. Uh, but, but that didn't matter. You could just, once he started singing and performing, you could just feel it. And I just loved that music leading to, having this character kind of come off the screen, so to speak, and be a bit more developed. And I loved this, this kind of like this rant that he went on because it just gave this imagery of this concert. It gave more into the insight and this gruntled of this character, but I loved it because it's almost ironic because this character in the eighties was referencing music from the fifties and sixties and how it's lost music has lost its way. And I know people firsthand. I've had conversations with people who were lived their, like their youth adolescent years in the eighties who see the same exact thing now about boy George and about the eighties saying, Oh, compared to now in 2022 music has lost its way. You could go see boy George and you, you didn't even see what color his shirt was, but when he started singing, you know, like, I think it's just funny how just it, as humans, music or something that we like was always better in the past and it's not as good now and it's just, it always comes full circle. And so there's just something really nuanced about that rant and it all started with the music and I just loved it. Oh, and the last, at some point in the last two weeks, I've ranted about how early, like late 90s, early 2000s, like the the sort of the pop punk mm. You know, look, you had yep. all these these boy bands that were like, <laughs> but not like boy bands like InSync, but like boy bands sure. that were like Fall Out Boy and right. Simple Plan and, you know, just that like punchy sort of rock era that we had. Um, and I was like, man, nobody makes music like this anymore. <laughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's totally a, you know, but I would also fall into like, I was not around listening to music in the 80s um yep. but yesterday driving home from uh from making that video um uh, mm. i was rocking out to to an 80s playlist and i was like nice. there's not a bad song yeah i mean a part of that was the playlist maybe um sure but i was like yeah there's a this is a wide reaching playlist and there's not a bad song on here mm. so yep. yeah yep. it is it's funny it's funny to hear him trashing '80s music. Mm-hmm. And I again, it. I know we're supposed to be talking about the music, but that musical scene with Mel Gibson. I just loved Mel Gibson in this movie. I'm sorry, and just like he, he really embodied. You just saw his character coming to life in that. I think that's kind of where it came out for me. Whereas where you just saw him kind of sitting at booths before and being the tough guy. And then that is the first scene where you really kind of start to explore that character. And I, I was all for it. Yeah. For like, yeah, I mean, okay, we're, we're going to jump ship here. Yeah. Mel Gibson's character in this Tommy K mm-hmm. could have easily been sort of a two-note character mm. where or a one-note character where oh yeah where yeah. you know he's just the guy in the booth yeah he's got some criminal stuff going on mm-hmm. he's got some capital he's 
you know, and that's it. Because that's really all, like, you could have just done that. Mm-hmm. And it still would have worked. Like, you would have, you would have known everything that you, that you fundamentally needed to know. Sure. In order to progress the story. Yeah. Um, but all these, yeah, all these little sort of side notes that Mel Gibson gets in this, whether it mm-hmm. be discover yep. us discovering that he has a daughter. Yeah. Right? He's yep. a family man. To a degree, yeah. To a degree. Um, that he's got his own, yeah, he's got his own, and it, it, you know, so you start questioning some of, well, what are his motives for doing this, right? Mm. Is he just evil villain underworld scum, or is he, you know, he's also got a mouth to feed, (laughs) right? right? And so there's like, it's so many, and then, yeah, and the stuff like him talking about, about the music and, and even like the nuances of his performance when Josh Dumal first comes in and approaches him um, mm. after he's been kind of roughing up someone who's neglecting yeah. to make payments. Sure. And, and Mel Gibson is just kind of like, he's a little awestruck. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> you know, how did you get in here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so... Yeah, I listen. I'm I for a long time now. I've been an unapologetic Mel Gibson fan. Sure. Um, you know, has he done some shitty stuff? Yes, we all have. Um, sure. Do those shitty things and saying those shitty things tend to carry a little more traction when we're a massive public figure? Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Would would would. Would people, you know, would would you and I run the risk from time to time of of getting canceled or or having some bad press if you and I were suddenly thrust into the public spotlight? Mm. I, I'm guessing so, right? Like, there's just there's things you you say or things you do or things whatever that that when you have millions of eyes on you, uh, mm. you know that. Yeah, you, it just it makes the news and and yep. it becomes a bigger deal and everyone talks about it and so on and so forth. Having yep. said all that, I am so glad <laughs> to see Mel Gibson just back. Yes, he's just back. Yeah. He's back. He's yep. back on the scene. He's making arguably better content than he's ever made before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about loving him as a director, right? Yes, oh, Ridge. You have. Yep. Far superior film to Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's a um, hill you will die on. Yeah. Well, it's, you well, know, it's yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm it, Mel Gibson's incredible. He's in incredible. Film, so at the very least, in this film, and again, the last two films I've seen him in are this, and then in Fat Man, where he portrayed Santa Claus. And we've we've gone on this show. You know, I didn't like the movie per se, but his role in that movie was out of this world, one of the most unique renditions of Santa Claus I've ever seen. And so in this film, I think I want to piggyback on what you said. Yeah, it would have been really easy to make this guy a one-dimensional figure. It would have been easy to follow some tropes and make him a bit of a two-dimensional figure, but not like a hollow two. You know, every time Josh Dumal mentioned, hey, you know, I've got a wife. Hey, I've got a kid on the way. 
warning flags went up in my head. I went, this is going to haunt you later. Don't leak any personal information to this Mel Gibson character because he'll use it for leverage for you when he wants something from you. You know, like I was worried we were going to go down the road of tropes of, you know, an antagonist. And, you know, when he shows up at Josh's door later on, I went, "Uh oh, this is bad news. And I love how you know, instead of following these tropes of either making him one dimensional or, you know, having him turn on Josh, he was neither of those and he had some dimensions to him. And then he also kind of just transitioned and was kind of like a, a really close uncle or even a father figure yeah. to Josh who, you Gives know, when house, he sh- comes and checks when, on yeah, the family to have some, you know, have a beer out on, on the, the family and, and, and just is even giving some insight saying, you know, in a few years, all my garbage will be on the side of the road and that won't matter. And maybe you should focus on things that do matter and just, you know, don't don't burn yourself on the way out by trying to do one or two more jobs. Like quit while you're ahead, focus on what you should focus on. And so I just thought, again, it added to the richness of this character that became he became this role model figure that he was just a rich character. And I think just with Mel Gibson in this and, and Fat Man, he's leaning into some of the more maybe grittier roles. You know, he's he was the 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 young, you know, playboy in earlier in his career, and then he's done some different content throughout his career. And these ones, like he's just leaning into a kind of like a different avenue that I've ever seen him before. And I just loved it. So point being, Mel Gibson was fantastic. Well, and I think the moment, a moment that is worth mentioning that really, for me, cemented in in my mind that Mel Gibson's character, Tommy Kay, is just, is actually a decent person, mm. was the prison visitation scene. Yeah. Where he says, he full on says, you know, you'll probably get a reduced sentence if you rat on the rest of us if you turn the rest of us yeah. in yeah basically saying like you know i'm if i do jail time because if i do jail time to get you a reduced sentence i'll understand mm-hmm. and and josh jamal's character is like no you know yeah. he has his vin diesel moment and he's like that's not what you do to family <laughs> and and yeah and it just like but you're like wow like, what a decent, because I do, I think that, you know, and maybe, and maybe if I have a criticism of the movie, mm. it would be that it would be, and I mean, maybe these were some scenes that were shot, but it would be nice to see, because it almost seems like Tommy K comes to genuinely care about mm. Gilbert. Yeah. Um, and like maybe one or two one or two more scenes that just kind of like delve mm. into that and sort of yep. show that that connection form yep. um but yeah no he's such a like it's such he's such an interesting character mm-hmm. um yeah like and 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 played to perfection i think yeah no, I agree. Uh, touching on the music again, and you know, I I like 80s music, you know that, a lot of the listeners would know that, but staying objective here, one of the musical components that I thought was really well done in this film was the, 
would it be a montage? I don't know what you'd classify it, but the the bulk of watching all these different heists go down in the middle of the film to music, to, to music of the time. And, you know, I forget which song it was, but I feel like, again, there's a tempo that this film really had a strong suit of. And it's so easy, like 59 burglaries, you know, obviously you never show them all, but even this could get bogged down a little bit with some detail of like, okay, how do we keep our tempo and pace? And, but we also want to show some of this and show it in a comedic way. And just with music involved, they did just that in a way that really conveyed a lot of the, the comedic and interesting points of all these heists in a short, concise matter so that you see it and you're not bogged down from a, a narrative perspective or, or, or a flow perspective. So I thought that was really a strong component, that, that montage, and that really, again, just tied into using music well, f- having a, a, a palpable flow and pulse that you're following. So I, I thought that was a real strong suit of this film. Oh yeah, yeah. I I don't under like because it's not a huge budget movie, and no, I don't. I honestly like when you listen to the music in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I one <laughs> one would ask the question: mm-hmm. How was there any budget left? Right after you secured all of this music? Yes. Because it is, oh. it's so, like, it's, as far as, like, holy cow, iconic music, it's not necessarily yep. on the level of, like, a Suicide Squad movie, where it's just, like, uh, massive, iconic hit after hit after, yeah, cause, I like, guess not, but, well, but Suicide Squad but, is, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, and then this song, and then that, right, but. But these songs, Brady, like, these are, like, they're not just backlist kind of, oh, right, I forgot that song Oh, existed. this is not like, a criticism. Are, oh, no, and I'm not. Like, I'm just playing devil's advocate of, like, I get what you're saying. Maybe it's not in that tier, but it's not far off. Like, uh, I think we're on the same page here. Like, just oh, yeah. how like, they were able to get this music and then still have a budget to get the names involved that they got involved and actually have a, a decent product on on the screen afterwards i agree like it's incredible the music approach that suicide squad takes would not work would not fit the feel of this film sure no the music selection for this movie is again like much like a runtime is Mm. is so tied into getting it right is so tied into well what is the dna of our film Mm. Uh, yeah and and they nailed it yeah 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 um Something I found interesting, and I, I kind of hinted at this before, but why I loved Catch Me If You Can is it's more than just the cat and mouse game. It's a coming-of-age story. With this, we've got this cat and mouse element, but we also have an individual. Like, you know, he's going to become a father, and, you know, we've got someone who wasn't fueled by greed at all it was just he needed money because he was going to be a father and he had no other choices and my point is there's all these other narratives that really fueled a the main character but b by extension the movie and what we saw and i think what the most unique one for me was and uh, i'm curious if you felt the same because we are both canadians was having this (laughs) story and they alluded to this in the film, the story of the American dream 
but it taking place in Canada. And so it was so surreal for me to watch because it's taking place in a time and, you know, there's some familiarity of like, okay, there's Ottawa, there's our capital, there's Vancouver, a city that, you know, I've never been to, but I'm familiar with and I know what it looks like. And so there's this familiarity of the location and where it's set, but it's interjected with like, there's like a here, I think it happened at least twice, but um, where they would have the U S presidential sound bits of the president of the time talking about the economy or, or talking about this and talking about that. And so it was just a very like interesting blend of familiarity, but remembering, Oh, right. Like this is the American dream just told in a location that I'm familiar with. And it's something that I've never really seen on screen before. And it's so niche. It's so, so out there, but I thought that was just really interesting to me. Yeah. And, and showing, showing the U S president was definitely the way to go for two reasons. One Mm. is it makes sense because Gilbert is American. 100%. Um, And so those are, you know, even though he's living in Canada, those Mm -hmm. are probably the politics that he's following and he's interested in and so on and so forth. Um, And also, again, just like showing archival footage. That's one of the things about Canada. Like even in Canada, Mm. we are strangely more fascinated. And maybe this is Hollywood. Maybe this is the movies. Maybe I don't know what it is. Um, But we are strangely more fascinated for the most part in American (laughs) history than we are. Right our own history. Um, so I think at any rate, showing archival footage of a, a Canadian prime minister, it just doesn't have the same pop, right? doesn't have oh, the same, yeah. like, yeah. you know, even, even most Canadians would probably, most Canadians nowadays would probably be looking at 1980s prime minister footage going, who's that guy? <laughs> and that? I think... And listen, I don't have a political science degree. I, I'm working towards it. Uh, no, I'm not. But I I speculate maybe like th- today I've got m- two kids and there's the younger one and the older one and the younger one grew discontent with what they were doing and they wanted to like look over the shoulder of what the older one was doing. And I wonder if some of it is that too, like, you know, we've got the U S we're kind of like the little sibling where we're, and maybe like you said, it's Hollywood feeding into that. Maybe it's Hollywood telling us that's what it's like, but I'm just, maybe that's part of it too. It's just, maybe we've always just been more curious and it's just the little sibling rivalry. I'm not sure. Um, I know what the solution would be to that as a side note, we need to get a film about Canadian history and blend in some secrets to it and have Nicolas Cage unravel these secrets. Yeah, that's the only... That's you know, the only... There's a treasure go. map on the back of the Canadian Charter of Rights. <laughs> that's... Uh, I thought you were, were going to say like on the back of a Tim Hortons cup or, or something. That. I, either way, either way, it's career suicide. I mean... <laughs> Listen, come on. I think I think there's legs. It's got it's got opportunity to go. Okay. Well, you uh, you let me know. I'll text him. I'll text him. Yeah. Um, I okay. So I I I will just say quickly. I am a Nestor Carbonell fan, and we haven't really teased this enough. But uh, we we will be having an episode coming up with a special guest related to this film. 
I'm not sure how you wanted to drop, like if you, we just start dropping that or if that's something you wanted to re- reveal at the end, I'll leave that to you. But um, I think I think the best approach is probably to say, hey, we interviewed the director of this film. Um, we interviewed the director of this film. Um, and it, A, it's something we were very excited about. Um, but B, just the, the stuff, the interesting stuff that we heard and uh, we won't get into that. That'll yeah, be we for probably what the, that we, episode's for. We probably should have recorded it. So you could, uh, <laughs> well, you said just to keep it loose and fluid. And, well, I, didn't, uh, I, didn't I didn't know. I just, with the red light flashing while we were talking, I just wouldn't have been able to focus. So, no, yes, yeah, exactly. we have uh, Canadian director Alan Ungar in an upcoming episode where we actually talk about his experience directing this film. And the reason I brought that up was, was one of the things we talked about was Nestor Carbonell. I'm a big fan of his. Um, so that was one of the reasons I was interested in this film. And I just loved the character that he portrayed that detective. Um, I've seen him in a lot of different roles. I think one of the most exciting things that Alan revealed to us was Al or Nestor appears like a very genuine, sincere human being in the roles that he portrays on screen. And Alan just said, yes, that is exactly who he is. And I think, you know, sometimes when we have people that we admire in the media and sometimes maybe they aren't exactly who they appear to be, which is fine. You know, you, people need to be who they are, but just, I think there was something satisfying about that to me to realize he was who he seems to be. But my point is he played an incredible detective. Um, there was a whole bit where he was playing arcade games and video games at the end. And I didn't know I needed those scenes until I saw them. And I was like, yes, that was great. But um, I just felt he was, he was great. He was a very good counter to Mel Gibson at times. Cause he really doesn't have much screen time with Josh because they only really, cross paths at right. the end when he's, he's, he's chasing him he's chasing him yeah so yeah. more of his on screen was with his peers his police officers and his and mel gibson. his and mel gibson and so i thought for that he was just a great in that role he played really like he really had a good chemistry on 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 screen with mel and i, I just loved i loved everything about that role so i i uh, and they they also made reference of his eyeliner, the whole running bit that he has in a lot of his work. So I, I loved that, and I, I I appreciated that as well. Well, and so speaking to the writing and the dialogue in this film, sure. The the conversations, the quippy little taking shots at each other, hostile conversations between mm. Mel and Nestor. Hmm. Right. Like, oh, you know. I'll get you know. I'll be back with a warrant, and Mel yep. Gibson says, "Okay, I'll I'll assume I'll the position," here. and like, you know, <laughs> and just these like, and and mm-hmm. and Nestor sucks at this video game, and <laughs> and loses, yeah. and you know, you know, it, eat your money, like just a bunch of mm-hmm. like he doesn't care, he doesn't give a shit about this guy or want this guy mm-hmm. around. He's you know showing he's like feigning concern, and um. And the the one line in this movie, well, I mean, lots of lines made me laugh, but probably the the line that made me laugh the hardest is as as that scene's ending, and Nestor's walking past, and and you know, sort of out of out of the bar, um, Mel Gibson again run, with the run, sort of running gag of we're talking <laughs> about the machine, we're talking about the arcade machine, but we're not really, and mm. and Mel Gibson says. Looks like a loser to me. 
<laughs> and I was like, it, it was so, it's such a smart, well-written line and mm-hmm. so well played in that scene. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the writing, the dialogue in this film is is incredible. Can I take, I'm going to take this opportunity then to hop on a couple things that I found funny. And I agree, like that was one. And there were just so many moments where just whether it was the witty dialogue or just something kind of written in a funny way. And so just as a line where Josh goes to Mel and, you know, he says, hey, you know, let me pull this heist and you can lend me the money and here's our rates of what we'll do. And then he, he, he starts talking to Mel about, you know, here's the flaws in the banking system. And he describes Canadian bank guards versus United States bank guards. And he describes the Canadian bank guards as John candies with mace. And I laughed. I laughed out loud. Like I literally did. Another good Canadian kid. (laughs) Yes. Oh, See, I, yeah, that's why it was such a beautiful, like, it just, again, the American dream told within Canada, that line is just perfect. Um, I loved the whole first heist and every awkward component of it, whether it's the awkward compliance of the clerk who's helping him, that he forgets a bag, that she finds a bag for him, helps him zip it up, and just like... That whole sequence was funny, so that was more a well-written sequence. Uh, And then even just the whole airport scene, the initial one, where, again, just (laughs) it's wild how things have changed. I know the 80s wasn't that long ago, but just even since 2001, uh, just, you know, hey, uh, sorry, sir, th- you don't have to worry. We, you know, you, you don't have to check any uh, uh, carry-on bags with you. You know, they don't have to go through the x-ray machine. You're you're fine. And just when he, before he realized that, when he walked up and, and kind of panicked and started rearranging the money in his suitcase, he, he just, Josh kind of panics and he starts backing away and he says, I, I forgot that I, I have to go poop. And I just, I just laughed out loud again. It was just such an awkward moment in a contrast to what airport security is like now and oh, yeah. how just is, is weird as that was. Oh, that like guy the would instantly be flat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like the guards are like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll still be here. And even when you get here, we're not going to check you that thoroughly. So just scenes like that with that or John candy or just there were moments that again listen maybe this is the whole point of our podcast is just as far as like what we're saying this film did well the comedy adds to the tempo and the timing and it just you know without the comedy maybe it is a bit too long and it's 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 got a good blend of interest wit and comedy and i again i i'm just i'm singing its praises Agreed. Agreed. Are you as big mm, as actually, I used how to be? I first... <laughs> Are you shrinking? Who was okay? Well, how I'll phrase this. Actually, I'll change how I'll phrase this. Who was your favorite cast role? Because. Josh is getting praise beyond praise, and rightly so. People are saying this might be his best career or his best role of his career thus far, and that it's he's been able to flex some ex, flex his ability. Um, Alicia Cuthbert was great. I've talked about Nestor. We've really harped on Mel Gibson in a good way. But like, who who for you was the standout role 
as far as you like what was your favorite oh that's tricky that's hard um it is and it's in a good way yeah because well because there's so many great Mm -hmm. like there's it's such a star-studded cast in a way Mm -hmm. um oh geez hmm I've talked about loving Mel Gibson. <laughs> Josh Dumal is great in, well, everything. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, it, and this this may sound sort of odd. Um, sure. I'm going to say Alicia Cuthbert. Sure. And part of that is because, A, I think she's incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just that, like, I'm such an Alicia Cuthbert fan, and sure. I don't think that, I don't think she's an actor that gets enough roles like this where she's able to mm. really stretch her acting wings. Interesting. Um, yep. You know, like, she was incredible in 24, um, and... Hmm. And, you know, the teenage me certainly had a massive crush on her, <laughs> especially when um, uh, The Girl Next Door came out. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to say her um, just because, like I said, I'm such a, yep. I'm such a big Alicia Cuthbert fan. And yep. it's just so nice to A, see Canadian talent. Yes. But B, see talent that I think is underutilized in movies um hmm. really get that opportunity to yeah to get in there and, and show her acting chops huh i feel like if i had to do my initial impression again which i won't because i like everything that i said and i still stand with it but i feel like this might have been the money ball of acting roles and what i mean by that is money ball is a 2011 film with brad pitt and it's about a low-budget baseball team in the early 2000s that used analytics in a way that they could compete with high-budget teams like the Yankees. And they, they paid attention and they, they looked for talent where others couldn't see talent. And they kind of dug it up for, you know, being able to compete and whatnot. And I feel like maybe this is the money ball of the cat, like the cast money ball of a film. Like we've got all these actors who, like Josh Dumal got the opportunity to do a more dynamic creative role. So like he's been able to kind of someone looked at him and said, Hey, I think this guy could really pull this off. Let's use him in this role. And he flourished and he, his talents just took over. Same with Alicia Cuthbert with the point you just made. Same with Mel Gibson, where, you know, people for, for whatever reason may or may not like him, but in these roles that I've highlighted anyway, and I've perceived, I've really enjoyed him recently. So it's been the kind of taking all these actors who maybe just haven't had this opportunity exactly in the past and they, their underlying talents have just been really discovered or rediscovered or discovered in a different way yeah. and been utilized in this project. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, I think there there would just be maybe one thing that I would want to talk about. Is there as far as in the the would we change anything? And I'll I'll say my thoughts on it and I'm curious if you have anything that you would say, hey, you know, I would have this set in Iceland next time instead, or if there's any drastically <laughs> you think you would change. I 
I and I I think this maybe this first point of the two falls into maybe if I was going to watch the director's cut the the the, the concept that you floated earlier, where you know it's a long film and so I completely understand why you don't include stuff like this. But just as a true crime fan and as a fan of this film, where I would have been okay with it, it had been longer just because I was drinking everything up. I just would have been curious into some of the aspects of how these detectives got their breaks as far as, you know, how did they hone in on the the costume store and kind of get in on that? Or how did they hone in on Penbrook where I thought Josh and his family were a little bit isolated and were a little under the radar. So like just aspects of that were maybe in the cat and mouse aspect. If we could have just had an unlimited runtime or in a director's cut, I would have just been very interested to get a bit more of that cat and mouse aspect. Um, and the only thing I would then, my I guess it's more of a rhetorical question, is at first I wrote down, is there a lack of character arc for our protagonist, for Josh? And the only reason I said that, and now I'm going to change my tune, but I will still ask it rhetorically, is, you know, even after everything he's been through, even after realizing that his family is the priority of his, and even after having this father figure, Mel Gibson, say, you know, maybe we should... Maybe we should just count our blessings and not not get too greedy. And I just kind of wonder, what did our protagonist learn? But then I think that falls into, this is a true story, so I don't know if there was really much creatively we could have done differently because there was a true story to tell here. So I think it was, I was a question that I posed, whereas, hey, what is our main character? How have they changed? How have they learned? Did they learn from their mistakes? And ultimately, the, the the answer might be a bit no at times. But I think that I think I'm answering my own question here. It falls into more. It's a true story, so we have to tell what was what was actually happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he needed to learn any like for for the sake of the story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it. It's interesting. So the act, the real. I don't know if you've done any reading. Um, but the real Gilbert, mm. who has served his sentence, right, and is out now working as a truck driver, right, yeah, and is actually pretty good friends with 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 the co- Nestor's character that took him down. Hmm, that's kind of cool. Like they're I did friends not know now. That. Um, went to the premiere together. <laughs> of, <laughs> no of the movie, right. So, like, I, I mean. <laughs> I think obviously he you don't do jail time like that and not learn something <laughs> right like, true yep so I mean I but I honestly I think for the sake of the story like it wasn't mhm mhm yeah you know it didn't need to be a moral story no it's just a fun bank heist cat and mouse story um I think I think where my question originated from was, say, where we watch Catch Me If You Can, they t- they k- they kind of zoom out at the end, and instead of just focusing on one kind of specific period, they say, oh, and, you know, let's wrap a little bow on this, and, you know, he's friends with Tom Hanks, and, you know, he did, he did get on the up and up, and he works for the FBI, you know, like all these kind of little things. And to the point of this Bandit film, I think I maybe prefer the ending of Bandit, and that it's a bit more of a raw, real ending where it's okay. 
we're not focusing on the big picture of what happened after he comes out of jail. We're focusing on this part of the story. And I think I just kind of liked it too, just because it really didn't glamorize it in the end. It was like, you know, he served his time. He he was in there for a long time. He missed mm-hmm. the those formative years of his children's lives, you know, you know, just things like that. So I think I think it's also coming to the point too where like I think of my question, it's like, okay, maybe I'm just wanting a nicer ending, but that's right. not what happened. It's and, just real life. And, and that's just real life. This is how and real I, life I think works. and I think after I asked that question rhetorically, I think I need to remove it and just say that is the story that needed to be told. Yeah. Whether and I think it's maybe just my human nature that wants to see something happy, and that's not what we're here to talk about. Well, and I mean that's always like you know, there's a pattern here. Like this is mm-hmm. this is a question that you bring up in a lot of films, right? Sure. You're always looking for you as as just like your movie viewing tendencies. Mm-hmm. You're always looking for what is that? What is that? That sort of character growth. What is that? Mm. That message. Yep. Where is the, the the moral? Where's the lesson? Um, and yeah, and and in real life, sometimes there just isn't. Yep, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yep. but but totally hashtag release the Ungar cut. Like I am. I- <laughs> Yeah, I laughed at it, like not laughed, no, but I thought that I, was a funny yeah. joke at first. But for the point I illustrated as well, I would watch it absolutely. I mean, it won't. Ha- I'll tell you right now, it's no, not gonna happen. Yes, absolutely. Not. Like not yeah. only, not only will that hashtag not likely happen, um, <laughs> but I would be shell shocked. Mm-hmm. Like, will we get some deleted scenes dropped online? Yeah, quite possibly. He, oh, absolutely. Alan hinted at that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But to actually, like, there's there's some additional budget tied up in... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In recutting a film, adding yep. in the scenes you took out, releasing yep. it. Like, that's not... That's not as simple as pressing upload yes. on, on yep. YouTube. Um, yep. And so, I, I just... I don't see it happening, but... No. God, I wish it would. And I feel like it's also not the type of movie that really would fit that that mode of like, hey, we've got the extended director's cut, right? Yeah, like we're, this we're re-releasing it film. on HBO yeah. Max. It's going <laughs> to be black a and f- white four three aspect ratio. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Ooh, but Bandit, yeah, black and white Bandit, the noir cut. I feel Ooh. like is there something that an average user could utilize to just do that on their screen? Um, no. Well, okay. Yes, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, but poorly. So, oh, okay. for oh, instance, okay. yeah. like when when Logan released a noir cut. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of skepticism. People were just like, "Oh, okay. What you're just now? You're just selling me a version where you." <laughs> you've applied a black and white filter to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that simple. Because um, okay. you do have to, like, in order to make the black and white look good and not have details lost or things mm-hmm. blown out or overexposed, it it actually requires going in and recolor grading hmm. each individual shot. Like gotcha. it, it, it's a process. It's not just you know. It's not just hitting a button. It, it's not going into Final Cut and <laughs> and applying a black and white filter. I mean, you could, right. and you will get yeah. a black and white version of the movie, but it's not going to feel like 
an intended to be black and white release, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, um, on a scale of zero to 10, how would you rank mm-hmm. the 2022 film mm-hmm. Bandit? It's a good question. You know, it's a fun movie, and uh, it made me learn that a good con man is a good salesman. Um, I So, okay, I'm going to answer my question like I always do in two halves. One, how much effort am I putting into this? And two, what is it out of 10? So, is it bottom of the barrel... If there's no Wi-Fi at the cottage and I'm, it's raining and there's a VHS of it, would I maybe watch it? Next level is if it's on a streaming site uh, that I already pay for, I'd watch it. The next level up is, you know, if I had to pay premium access to pay $30 on Disney Plus, or example, would I do that? Or is it in the premium tier where I would get a babysitter, you know, drive with my wife to the theater, pay $50 to get snacks and devote a whole evening to see this in a movie theater. Where would I put that? I would put that in the highest, most tier. I absolutely, if I went to the effort of getting a babysitter and all those things I outlined, and when the credits rolled, I would have gone, what a fun way to spend an evening. What a good use of resources to get out and see this movie and just totally partake in it so it's in the highest category for me of how much effort i'd want to see uh as far as on a scale of zero to ten i gave it a seven out of ten it's a really good movie and i did not hesitate at all putting it in the good category and it's a strong seven and again i just i have a lot of good things to say about it i've watched it twice now and i i don't know how i feel you've said i that you think it's better than catch me if you can and i honestly don't know how i feel about that i'm it might be better i don't know i i honestly i i it's it's just interesting i if you had asked me a couple years ago is there going to be a, a cat and mouse film that's better than catch me if you can i would have said no way and not a chance in heck and it's interesting that now today i I'm speculating going, there might be. I actually don't know. It's that close. So I, 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 that's just, as a film watcher, it's fun to get another film that I value and that I had fun watching. And that's kind of in the circle of trust. But what did you give it out of 10? Uh, I gave it an 8.7. Strong. Very yeah, strong. Super strong. Um, and I don't, like, yeah, like I said, it, it, I don't typically gravitate towards this type of film. Um, but it was, no. fu- it was fun from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and like literally two days after <laughs> watching it, um, mm-hmm. Brienne was like, oh, you know, we we're trying to pick out a movie. Like, what are we going to mm-hmm. watch? What are we going to watch? And I was like, I yeah. would watch Bandit again. Yes. I was like, I will, because she didn't see it with me. And I was sure. like, same, let's, same. Let's, let's do it. Let's watch Bandit. And we ended up, yes. like, for whatever reason, actually, I don't think we even ended up watching a movie. Um, it mm. wasn't where, it wasn't like she was like, ah, no, screw that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at, where I'm like, okay, I yeah. just saw it and I'm ready for a rewatch. It's interesting because I'm in the same camp and I did rewatch it within a couple weeks of first seeing it. Yeah. And it's interesting that, yeah, I had that same burning to watch it again, that same desire. And there were some key sequences 
that were intense the first time I watched them as far as captivating. And it's still interesting after just watching it so recently and knowing where this film goes that I still was captured by these certain key sequences and specifically the climax. Again, it was just, my point is I'm just singing its praises. It really captured me. It was fun. So fun. Just say yes or no, or maybe blank or don't blank. I'm just curious. When you didn't see a movie and instead did something else, did you rob a bank with Brienne? Um, the I think the only way I can answer that <laughs> is by saying, uh, so Pete, what did you watch this week? <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, okay. I, hmm, actually, let me get my list out. I think I've only watched one thing. It is, yeah, let me just confirm it. Yeah, one thing. I've started a TV show. It's a mini series, so it's only one season long. And I haven't finished it yet, but by all indications, I will be giving it a good review. I'm going to list some names, and there's a commonality between the show I watched and all these names. And I'll, I'll tease you with these names, because I doubt you will be able to guess it. But what do Jessica Beale? Jessica Alba, Tyra Banks, Scarlett Johansson, Minka Kelly, and Mariah Carey have in common. Um. <laughs> uh, um what do they have in common? Mm-hmm. They're actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, uh, I'll wait, no, no, I'll, no, no, hang on, hang you're on. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get hang it. Hang on. <laughs> you're um, not. I just know you won't. Uh, they probably all have Instagram accounts. <laughs> Maybe. I'll tell you what they have in common. All right. They have all either dated or have been linked and a strong chance that they've dated Derek Jeter. I've watched okay, the television. Well, if that was uh, hang on. If that was <laughs> the criteria we were going for, then what? They also have that all in common with me. So I don't <laughs> Well, like, you I didn't, didn't know tell we me were that. going like taking a personal <laughs> angle to this. You didn't uh, you you had the chance to mention that. No, I wasn't wait, sure that's if you were not going true. to. I have not dated Jessica Beal. I'm sorry. I retract <laughs> It was almost true. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching The Captain. It's a seven-part miniseries. Uh, I think it's like an ESPN original, but it's on Disney Plus now. And I'm really captivated by it. I think I'm four or five episodes in. And, you know, I am a sport. I'm a baseball fan at, at, at heart. And I'm also uh, captivated or interested in Derek Jeter because he he transcended baseball. He transcended sports in that he was this stoic captain who like just whether it was on the field, he was a champion. He he set so many records for championships. One you know, in some ways, he people are saying he's the Michael Jordan of baseball. And so on the field, he's this kind of stoic business first. I'm focused on the team. I'm a team player. And then just outside, like I listed all these interesting or notable people that he's dated. He's got this kind of persona outside. And it's just, I, I this TV series is really well done because it hones in on key baseball 
details and facts that I'm honed in on, but it's really delving into the personality of as best as you can as someone who doesn't open up to the public. It's delving into the personality of who Derek Jeter was and how he was raised and he was raised by biracial parents and just different things he went through when he was growing up, when he was a professional in New York and how things have changed maybe for people like him uh, and how he perceived things have changed or maybe haven't changed. So it's just, it's a really fascinating mini series that really hones in on a lot of things that I like baseball being one of them and just kind of the things that transcend baseball but baseball connects us to and so it's a really fascinating mini series i'm watching an episode usually every night and i just can't like every night i'm like ugh, i should go to bed but maybe i should just stay up and just not get any sleep and watch the next episode and it's just fun uh, after having the void of Rings of Power being done and looking forward to the next episode of something, this has really filled that void for me. So I've started watching The Captain. What have you watched this week? Um, it depends on where I left off last week. Um, and that's yeah. the problem with working through these series. So <laughs> I had watched Fellowship of the Ring. I know I told you about that. Yes. Did yep. I tell you that I watched Two Towers? I think you said you watched Fellowship... Two Towers, I made a jab at Two Towers being the best sequel of all time, but you had not watched Return of the King. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we still have not watched Return of the King. It just doesn't... <laughs> That's fine. To it's sit down not, and watch a four-hour and ten-minute yeah, movie, it's like... You, it's a commitment, and it's not something you could just shoehorn in between, you know, eating supper and going off to do something. Yeah. Um, and I think I also said that I'd watched the first three... Friday the Thirteenth movies. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. Was that? Does that? That ring sounds a bell? familiar. Yep. Um, I have now seen up to part seven of <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth movies. Dang. Um, and I'm still not feeling any Oscar buzz. Um, <laughs> but um, in some ways, they are getting better. Um, Good. Okay. In some some very limited ways, uh, and I think. I think that's maybe it, just like in this sure. Halloween mode of like, mm-hmm. you know, let's watch, yes. let's watch not necessarily scary movies, but sort of like maybe something that's like iconic horror, spooky movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, much like any of these like 80s slasher series, it's like, it's so bad that it kind of is good and you just mm. keep watching anyways. Yeah. I so, I get it. Yeah, I think that's it. Cool. Think. Cool. Wrap it up, sir. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Please check out our socials below. Like, follow, subscribe, rate, and review. We love it when you do that. Um, check out our Patreon page, merchandise page. Um, it's ways for you to help support the show, help us keep the lights on, and it's ways for us to help reward you or give you some perks back for helping the show, um, whether it be for shout-outs, uh, you know, bonus content, video streams that we put on there, uh, extra voting power, submitting voting options, because I Again, our bread and butter is you tell us what films to review. And um, yeah, check out check that out if you're at all interested. And um, until next time, well, I guess next time will be probably our Alan interview. Yeah, I guess that would check, be... Look for our Alan Ungar interview. Yes. About it's this something, movie. I, again, we were ecstatic and we're super pumped to join with Alan. And uh, we are proud of the content that is on the way. Yeah. Yeah. I I could not have ended an episode better myself. <laughs>
Ha, ha, ha.